Mikey, when you have a chance, I do want to see some highlights from your Spotify wrapped. Oh, I know that just like dropped today. I was like, wow, of all days. Yeah. My top five were Odessa, where I was in the top 0.1%. Amazing. Number two, I already forgot. Number three was Rufus. Number four was Zed's Dead. And number five was uh, Drulu. Oh, is that how you say that artist's name, Drulu? Yeah. It is indeed. Oh, number two was Skrillex. Yeah. Which I was Skrillex happy Skrillex was on both of ours too. I was surprised about that because I only listened to Skrillex at the first like part of the year. Pretty legendary homie to have on your on your recap. Guess who was my number one? It's gonna really shock you. Morgan Madison. <laughs> he is number four this year. Who's number one? Jeff. <laughs> Seven Lions. <laughs> and number two is LP. Mm, legend. Legend Giobi. Literally. I just bought new Converse platforms and they are great. And today is my second day wearing them and I stepped in a big pile of dog poop. <laughs> <laughs> New York City. Exactly. Welcome. Woo! Hello. Hi. Plurbies. It is time for us to welcome a new voice to plurality. A human who earlier this year was named one of DJ Mag's 12 emerging artists you need to hear you may have seen her recently slaying stages at EDC Orlando, Lightning in a Bottle, Project Glow, Hard Summer, and EDC Vegas, among others. A cheeseburger aficionado, a record label founder, shout out Chubrub, overseer of wholesome conga lines, and expert of letting go of fear, which is a weapon, I might add. Our first guest <laughs> in the history of our beloved plurality podcast, I am thrilled and honored to introduce our friend, Kara Eser, also known as DJ Producer, Baby Wait! Hello everyone, glad to be here. Did we mention we're stoked to have you here? <laughs> I think you've made that abundantly clear. <laughs> well, we have uh, three segments for the people today. The first is a music-specific section with a much too long title. The second is called Trans is Beautiful, and number three, we're gonna have some fun with Kara. It's just Mikey's random questions. So, shall we commence? Let's, Let's commence. Let's go. Okay, segment number one. The way this segment was named is Frenchie, Moody, and Mikey were deliriously typing last night in the Google Sheet, and the segment's all about music. So the segment is called, How Do You Do It? LOL, do what? Music things. How you do music things, question mark? A segment about how Miss Babyweight does the music things. It's like a fallout boy song title, you know, it's like two sentences long. <laughs> I love it when somebody comes out swinging with a Midwestern emo song title. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> give me all the parentheses, give me all the brackets. Well, I'll hop right into it. I have a few questions on the technical side since I'm a DJ myself and I'm just curious. What did you start on when you first decided to pursue DJing as a career? What kind of equipment? When I first started, just like everyone else, I had a little toy controller. 
a new mark, I believe, and it connected to virtual DJ. This was back in 2011. This was back in the Stone Ages. <laughs> when uh, I graduated from that, I graduated to the old CDJs that just didn't have a wavetable. You just kind of had to do everything by ear. You had kind of an idea of where the start and stop was, but you really literally just had to let Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> and I actually, I'm happy that I learned that way because it, it's kind of a trial by fire. It, it really gets you to not only learn the music that you have on your thumb drives, but it also forces you to do things with no real visual cues. And while I'm not great at mixing vinyl i would compare it to mixing on vinyl 100 percent. so i actually have um cdj 2000s at my house and that's before the nx2s so like you say i can't really see where the needle is in the track <laughs> i can't see where the play or the end is but because they have the usb functionality i connect it to record box through my laptop so i can see on the laptop thank god but I, yeah hats off to you for like learning that way and like really tuning in to where the needle is in the track because obviously these days you know it gets easier having the screen in front of you and being able to be so precise with where the point of the song is yeah i think it's so interesting that you have cdj 2000s that aren't nexuses because i feel like you and i can kind of bond over this but I'm not phased when I walk into a club and they have outdated equipment. As as a result of that, the first mixer I learned on as well uh, didn't really have effects on it either. So you really just have to rely on your ability of being able to blend from track A to track B. And I think it's an art form that not every DJ has. Like it's a skill set that not every uh, tech house DJ has, you know, it's kind of nice when somebody turns around and is like, I don't know how to use this. And it's like, well, you can pretty much throw anything my way. Nice. <laughs> I can figure my way out around it. You have to be quick on your feet in this industry. Of so. course. I love that. I, I love that you can be adaptable to whatever equipment you're given, which leads me to ask, what is your preferred equipment setup today? As long as it works, <laughs> I'm not angry. Uh, that being said, anything that's CDJ 2000 Nexus or newer, perfect. I just want to make sure that I can easily get from track A to track B and be able to search on the fly because I don't pre-plan my sets. So I'm running around with 100 gigs of music on each USB and I need to be able to make a make a quick rush decision, be able to throw an acapella onto um, a channel really quick or throw in um, like a loop from another track that I know works well during a transition. Not to say that you can't do that on older hardware, but it's just easier when you're working on anything that's like a CDJ 2000 Nexus or of newer. Course. What goes into like a split second decision like that? Because as not a DJ, that absolutely blows my mind that you're just up there not even knowing what two songs in the future might be. Yeah, so I, I grew up through kind of like, I want to say watching DJs who mix 
anywhere between two to four tracks at a time minimum. I, I guess the DJ that does it at the macro scale is probably James Hype, yeah. where he's just constantly doing builds, bringing in acapellas, doing drum rolls on, on the fly. I'm not nearly that technical. I won't even pretend to be. But other DJs who do stuff like that would be like Green Velvet, Ghetto Blaster, Golf Clap. Any of these hardened DJs that have been DJing since the 90s, they're, they're like scratching on top of records and throwing things out on the fly. And they know which acapellas work on top of what kinds of beats. And that's something that I really jive with. And so it's something I try to do in my own sets. And so you'll catch me running, you know, maybe three to four decks all at once, trying to come up with like cute little interludes. My favorite one to do is, and it's something that I did a lot last year and I've kind of retired it. I might bring it back. Um, there's a Born Dirty song that samples all night long by Lionel Richie. I like to take the drum break at the end of that and then go into Mouth Music by Black V-Neck. And as that's going, I like to bring in Brighter Days by Cashmere, also known as Green Velvet. The vocal that's like, ooh, ooh, ah, ee, ooh, ooh, oh, ooh, ah, ah, ee. And like kind of bring that up on top of Mouth Music, which is like, and it just kind of like, blends together in this really weird thing and so you have these three tracks going together you got these like funky kind of tribally drums from the born dirty track the end of that born dirty track on top of these other two tracks and then at the end of that you're able to loop all three and then you can bring in another tech house track and the tech house track that i used a lot for a while was uh whatever that fisher song was last summer that everybody was playing losing it a little bit newer than losing it but it was one of his big tracks it was i would either do that or um i would just go straight into uh voicemail by green velvet so like it would become like a huge kind of like green velvet thing but yeah so you know you're just kind of doing things on the fly and if you know your hard drives well enough or your USBs well enough, then those things just like start coming to you naturally, right? Or if you're going back to back with someone and you're really jiving off their energy, if they're playing a bunch of like massive monster things and it's not quite your time to play, but you're kind of feeling the vibe, what you're doing. Like, I feel like it's a good middle ground of like playing a track while the other DJ is playing a track. And so you can kind of like create this, this seesaw effect where you're reading off of each other's energy. Yeah. It's got a little sidetracked there. No, you're, I, I love hearing your entire creative process, especially in a live show when you don't know what you're going to play next. That's, that's really cool. And my next question is, have you ever sung in a set before live on the mic? And if not, is that something that you would be interested in doing in the future? Um, I hate the sound of my own singing voice because as a trans person, um, I feel like it's easy to clock me um, because I don't have the most feminine voice. And so singing during live sets is is something that makes me 
deeply uncomfortable, especially now that I've begun transitioning. That being said, there are some tracks that I've recorded vocals for that I sometimes, if the environment is safe, and I say safe because sometimes you can turn on a microphone in a booth and it just causes feedback or whatever. I will sometimes, you know, do the vocal on top of it, similar to like what Nala does. And the tracks this past year that I've done that for most notably is Persist, which is a track that came out on He, She, They with Slay For Me. And it has uh, kind of like a Riot Girl, Karen O from the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs kind of vibe with it. So like, I don't necessarily have to sing it. It's something that I can just like yell or shout at people. I'm working on tracks which may or may not be an album. I'm really not at liberty to say um, <laughs> that do have a fair amount of auto tune and, and vocals on them kind of in like a postal service Ooh. kind of way. Maybe in the future, if I do start implementing some other equipment into my sets, like some kind of, type of auto-tune gear or something like that, um, similar to what Boney Vera uses, I might mess around. I'm a firm believer in the in the mentality of fuck around and fight. <laughs> so are we. If we can make it work and I'm happy with the result and what it sounds like, then we can have that conversation. Right on. Before we go into the next question, I just wanted to point out that it took us approximately... 25 seconds into our first interview to mess up because we did have a dance party scheduled immediately after the introduction that we just totally skipped. So with that being said, I would like to take this opportunity to do that dance party right now. <laughs> this is My Brain is a Shallow Grave by Babywig. Let's do it. We just wanted to create a night that was accessible to everyone. You said to us that this is a song that is a good representation of the direction that you're moving as an artist. And I would love to hear more about that and the direction. Yeah. So um, a lot of people know me for a lot of my tech house music, I guess. I, I've been lumped in with like the Dirty Bird crew, whom I love and I adore, and a bunch of labels that are kind of tangentially connected to them, which is like fine, but it's not 100% accurate in terms of what I produce all the time. So while I do have some tracks like uh, Scooby Dooby Boof is one people always want to hear. The Bread Song is one people always want to hear. There's some tracks off my first album that people always want to hear. I like music that's that's really kind of like emotional and gets me lost in my feels and my thoughts. And so as a producer, I wanted to 
start pivoting towards that. And I think the pandemic helped a lot with that. I think a lot of artists found themselves really contemplating the purpose of everything, especially when you're in music and that's a that's a field that you're not sure is going to come back. And so you you just kind of look into this kind of like void of nothingness. It really makes you reflect on a lot of stuff. So I took it as a sign to to kind of like really dig deep and and, and find some answers musically. So this track, uh, My Brain is a Shallow Grave, which came out on Dome of Doom in May of 2023, was kind of a culmination of a lot of stuff. Um, It was a culmination of a lot of uneasiness. It was a reflection of the kind of catharsis I feel like dance floors give one another. I also think it's a reflection of some of the maturity that I've been searching for because, you know, I'm not, I'm still kind of a bouncy, lovable gremlin, but <laughs> post, post-pandemic, it's, it's a lot harder not to pay attention to things. And My Brain is a Shallow Grave is, is a testament to clubs as uh, safe spaces, as churches, and as places that you can experiment and just be yourself in, uh, which is why there's so many samples in there. It's a very sample-heavy song. It samples an old song I made way back when called Tiny Furniture. And there's a lot of breaks in there that I took from songs that I really love. And there's samples from documentaries about other means to, to reach some kind of emotional high. And I think... In a lot of ways, we've lost sight of what the point of all of this is. And it's it's really easy as DJs and producers to get swept up in the glamour of everything. And at the end of the day, that's really not what it's about. It's about creating environments where it's safe to experiment and be yourself and create a sense of community. So that's on a macro scale, kind of like where I'm going with my music. And so that song, when that came out earlier this year, I wanted it to be that along with Slay For Me, along with Persist, and just about every other record I've put out this year, I I wanted to kind of signal that I have a lot more to say than songs where the vocals are are just puns about bread. Or... (laughs) Like, it's... It's it's fine. Like, that's fine. But, like, I just had a lot more that I needed to say and get off my chest and, and kind of share with the world. And, and so this is kind of that next step of that. I think I speak for all of us that we're pretty excited to hear what you have to say. And so with that, I know Frenchie has a, a question that I think goes very well with this topic of discussion. Yeah, it does. One thing I love to do as an artist is I love to ask other artists what the heck inspires them and where they draw their inspiration from where like what it is or who it is um as a visual artist i find my inspiration from a lot of physical materials colors and textures i am like a maximalist thinker when i go into my art so yeah i have no idea if you would veer in a similar or different direction but who and what are your greatest inspirations my biggest inspiration is is more so um, a feeling than like an actual mm-hmm. 
thing thing. I, I remember the very first time that I, I went to see a DJ play in a nightclub. It was this feeling of kind of like closing my eyes, just being like enveloped by it's it's hard to describe but if you felt it you know yeah being enveloped enveloped by the music that you're listening to in that moment and everything just kind of like falls away and it's kind of like you're floating in space like there's nothing really around you and you're just kind of like in tune it's how I think people would describe God, like a, a universal kind of like texture that you just kind of feel in the moment. And so that's what I've been chasing. That's that's my white whale. Like if I were Captain Ahab, like that would be the thing. So every single tra track that I've been trying to make over the last two or three years has been in chasing that. Does this song give me something close to to that feeling now in terms of the uh the answers that are, are pretty easy i'm really inspired by film a lot i'm inspired a lot by fashion i'm inspired a lot by independent rock music uh specifically like indie alternative from like the year 2000 up until i guess 2014 2015 so a lot of Death Cab for Cutie, a lot of Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, a lot of gossip. LCD sound system was big for me. Phoenix was big for me. Ooh, yeah. Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, Vampire Weekend. Like there was, there was this moment in music where I just felt like every single thing you listened to was just an explosion. And that kind of energy is, is something that inspires me a lot. I don't know if that answers your question. Yes, it definitely does. I love it. Yeah. That's a chase the vibes answer, eh? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that it ties really well into my next question. I just wanted to reference the Mixed Mag interview with uh, Marcus Dowling that you did back in May of 2021. You, you said, I'm making these days a deeper house sound. I always wanted to take a stab at making these sounds and textures have always interested me. My recent self-exploration has aided in making those sounds and textures feel more tactile to my creative senses. And personally, I find it very difficult to get to a place that's vulnerable enough to, you know, take tough personal experiences from my past and to actually put them into my art. Um, recently, I mean, as in the last like year and a half, couple of years, I designed a jacket and I journaled this entry and it was basically to my sister on it, just talking about how brutal life can be sometimes. And so I would just imagine that like all of us as artists, you can draw on that personal experience and turn it into art, take your broken heart and turn it into art. So I'm just wondering for you, how do you take something abstract like personal experience and communicate it into your music, into something tangible that connects with your audience? That's a very good question. And one that I don't think at this stage of my career, I can fully answer. But at the end of the day, like themes like heartbreak, seeing the world change around you and not feeling like you're a part of it. Like these are all universal themes. People have been singing about them for centuries. I guess the real question is not how do you approach those themes, but rather what 
can you do to make it individual to you so that you're actually saying something new and not rehashing what other people have to say? That's where I feel you have to look into your influences and look to them for guidance. So for me, especially on the tunes that I'm making for this album, I've really been listening to a lot of the music that I put on when I'm really upset and sad. Um, and not necessarily stuff that I listen to to make myself feel better, but stuff that that resonates with me and makes me feel like I'm not alone because other people are feeling it. Other people are saying those things. And then taking those textures and then writing around that. So finding the, the harmonies and, and the melody to kind of go along with that heartbreak, to go along with that pain, to go along with that anxiety, that depression. And so it's it's different. Every single track that you make, um, some tracks wind up being like a techno record, like Fear is the Weapon, which just came out on Southern Fried Records, shameless plug. <laughs> we love it. Yeah, or, or tracks like uh, My Heart, which came out with a collaborator, um, that I work with a lot, uh, Carnage Kills. They're based out of the UK. It's grime artist. They're incredible. Similar to, I guess, what Jamie XX would do, reaching to those things and sampling those things and recontextualizing them and putting them through samplers, putting them through through compressors and delay pedals and, and phasers and, and just trying to create your own version of that. It's it's kind of a basic answer to that question, but that's that's really the best the, the best way that I, I, I can describe it. You know, you just really have to find things that click when you're like in that mode because it's 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 really hard to describe other than that. Awesome. I love it. I appreciate it. Thanks for that's that's a really hard question to answer. Thank you for going for the jugular. <laughs> you know, you could have been like name three bands that influenced this record. <laughs> okay, it's Jamie XX, Fortet, and I don't know, like this Irish girl group called Bewitched from the road. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay, Slay though, because Bewitched, they were top 90s vibes. <laughs> say you will, say you won't. Say you'll do, do what I don't. don't. <laughs> that first album, oh, I loved it. That was one of my first CDs, actually, was I that album. That. That, that Bewitched album. <laughs> Mine was Spice Girls, so. Fair, yeah. fair. That also checks out. But hey, you know what? Mikey has this next question, and it's it's an easy one for you to answer. It's a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm here for, the easy fun ones. <laughs> Let's go. Well, we had the opportunity to see you at Stereo Bloom, which was such a fun stage. You had the dancers, the house princesses with the big hair, the flower hairs. Is that the cutest stage you performed on this year? Or if not, what has it beat? Oh, wow. I would say it's the most maximalist stage I've performed on Ooh, all year. I love that. I really liked the Woogie stage at Lightning in a Bottle. It's really fun. It feels like you're playing in a in a pine cone. Ooh, kind of trippy. Ooh. It's a lot of fun. I really liked that festival. I really liked that stage. I also played this rave called Rainbow Rave. They're based in North Carolina, Winston-Salem. It was in the round, so it was kind of like a Fred Again style show, boiler room style show. And they just created this really immersive, wholesome 
environment. And so shout out to them. They they did a great job. With the name Rainbow Rave, you have to believe that that's going to be a fun time. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had heard good things um, about them from friends who had played that party previously. And it was great, you know, to see that many people come out um, in a part of the country that doesn't get a lot of house music and also isn't the most hospitable for the LGBTQ community to see that many people drive from all over just so that they could have an event they could be a part of was was really eye-opening. And I think it's important for us to highlight those communities and those parties and those promoters because in a lot of ways, you know, it's a lot harder for them to throw a show and to justify paying the talent and just just because they're building and people just aren't used to going out uh, until three or four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Fair. Doing poppers and screaming hysterically. <laughs> I love that, that answer. And uh, I, w- I wanted to ask you about Insomniac specifically because we've all been... Sure to EDC Orlando a number of times. Um, Mikey has been to Electric Forest and we're working on going to other Insomniac events because we think they are a pretty well-oiled machine. They know what they're doing. So since you've been working pretty closely with them the last two years, what has your experience been with working with their team and how have you liked it? Let me just say I am not a shill for insomniac holdings i am not on their payroll um they do not give me free swag i have to buy merch like everyone else that being said though i think they're incredibly great at what they do i think they consistently improve year over year in terms of getting more diverse talent getting voices in that don't always have a say. And in terms of expanding their events, I think they do a really good job at making things as safe and as pleasant as you can when you're throwing an event at the scale of what they're doing. Obviously, you're going to have a lot of naysayers and detractors online who feel differently. Haters going to hate. Basically, that's that's where I'm going with this. Um, I was told by a close friend of mine not to drop names, but their name is Maria, also known as the Blessed Madonna. <laughs> and uh, they told me something that I've kind of carried with me for the last couple of years, which is you're going to be too progressive for some and not progressive enough for others, and you just have to you just have to deal with that. I truly believe that. We can do a better job of actually executing the plural mentality. People are really quick to say, oh, raves are safe for everybody because plural, peace, love, unity, and respect, blah, 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 blah. But then the moment that you bring up, it's like, well, I, as a queer person, I don't feel very comfortable because of X, Y, and Z. A lot of those people are really quick to be like, you're wrong, bro, because plural. And... I was asked this question by Southern Fried Records, like, you know, why did I write Fear is the Weapon? I think it goes without saying, just in terms of the dance music community, like, sometimes you need to do a lot less talking and a lot more listening. And if you're the person shouting at the top of your lungs that other people are wrong and this, that, and the other, you might be the problem. And I feel like we still have a long way in terms of 
having more women on lineups, having more gender diverse people on lineups, having more queer people on lineups, having more trans people on lineups, persons of color on lineups, especially since dance music came from the black community. Let's be real, folks. But I feel Insomniac is doing a very good job at doing what they can as a massive mega corporation to improve. They could very well put things in reverse and do nothing. Uh, they can do that. They don't have to answer to us. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. At the end of the day, they're so big, they're going to sell hundreds of thousands of tickets regardless. They don't owe us anything. But the fact that you have people on the inside that are gunning for that change and hungry for it and pushing for it, I feel like there's actually now a fighting chance. So that's that's kind of how I I feel on that. I also want to say that like there's lots of other promotions out there. There's Disco Donnie Presents. There's there's Live Nation, uh, which is obviously the other mega massive corporation one. But I've been seeing, especially post pandemic, a lot of people, regardless of who the promotion is, just really trying their damnedest to make things more equitable, even at the expense of people stuck in 1882 <laughs> just just like shouting like why does everything have to be so woke it's like dude like if you're upset that there's a trans woman playing on the stereo bloom stage you got five other stages you can go to literally you can go to the stage behind you you can go to a stage over there you can go to a stage over there let us queers party and have a good time and and feel like we belong for at least one hour of the whole weekend you have a whole weekend's worth of programming truly and the fact that insomniac is willing to hold space for us i think is something that should be commended and um, applauded and i hope they continue to make more space again really execute plur instead of just using it as as a marketing thing. Frenchie actually has a question that touches on everything you just said. Wonderful. Yeah. Something that connects us is that back in, I think it was like July when EDC Orlando dropped the lineup for the festival, there were a lot of complaints. And I just commented saying, comments are less than plur here. Got to give it to Pascal for listening to feedback and booking new artists, artists of color, queer artists. And then I just was talking about how much fun we're going to have. And you know, it's excellent exposure for showgoers who wouldn't normally listen to newer names. And I just talked about how you never know when you're going to find your favorite new artist. So let's improve the vibes. Let's go have a great time. And you commented this and then you put a bunch of like carrots and it was just like a nice like comment of support to me. So I appreciate that. <laughs> and I was just really surprised at the amount of comments I got on my comment, they were really hateful. And I was really, really surprised. Luckily, somebody's on their um, like social media team and they've deleted all the negative comments. So I do appreciate that for the sake of, you know, keeping things positive. So my question is, how do we as passionate and dedicated members of the EDM community, not only teach people the ways of plur, but also like set that standard in venues Clearly, it's our responsibility as ravers, but also how do we hold venues accountable as well? That's a great question. 
And it's one that I've tried answering a lot. I think there are some parties out there that do a really good job really weeding out the nonsense. The ones that come to mind, there's a party called Milk Party based in LA. They have a very strict no Islamophobia, no anti-Semitism, no homophobia, no transphobia, no racism. Like The list goes on. They're very anti-hate. And they put it everywhere throughout the venue. They put it when you're buying the tickets. They have it in like their event descriptions. He, she, they similarly do that at all their parties. He, she, they actually goes out of their way to find venues that maybe in the past haven't had the best track record. And they go in and they teach the staff like how to handle certain situations and de-escalation and to, to be more open and warm and inviting so that you can kind of generate some change at the local level. And I commend them for that. They're taking like an extra step they really don't have to do. To your point about people in the comments, I'm going to be super, I'm just going to try and keep it super light. Haters going to hate. There's going to be haters everywhere. There are always going to be people who are tired of the world changing around them because all of a sudden people are paying attention to other people's views and not their own. And they want to throw a little temper tantrum. What about me? <laughs> what do I want? <laughs> I want to see Steve Yoki for a, a <laughs> tenth time. time. Yeah. <laughs> Steve is a sweet man. Proud of him. Everything he's built. But I think it just comes down to we. I feel like the most vocal people are in a very small contingent. Mm -hmm. And they have the loudest voice. They also probably have the less to do like like <laughs> they're shouting into the void because they can they don't necessarily plan on going to edc in the first place they're just yelling because it came up on their feed yeah that's social media for you baby yeah yeah i did make that comment to aaron when it was happening because we were both like trying to respond to the hate in like a, a nice way and i was like you know what these are probably all trolls anyway like they're not going to edc yeah <laughs> And uh, to Insomniac's credit, you know, Pasquale has a team of like dozens of people who do the talent buying for these events. All of them are looking to put together the most cutting edge, hip, aware event that they can with their coin purses. That allows for the event to have some names that you wouldn't necessarily see at a, a major U.S. festival sometimes. And I think that's great. I got to see Anfisa Let Yago. What? <laughs> Let's go! Yes. Like, I got to see Anfisa Let Yago into Eli Brown, into Gorgon City. Like, you don't get that at every festival. They're trying to educate the people on what real house music, what real techno looks like. Mm -hmm. They don't need to do that. They can continue selling tickets by, you know, having every back-to-back -back known to man. You know, like they could announce tomorrow that Sander Van Dorn is going back-to-back -back with, like, Paul Oakenfold. <laughs> and, and, and people will still show up to that because they're just like, let's go. They're taking risks. They need to be patted on the back for it. I think it's great. Let's pat them. Yeah. Big pat. There. Big pat. <laughs>
And that leads me to my last question for you in the, the music section, which is you got to play with Femhouse and LPGOB at EDC Vegas. I did. We are huge, huge fans of LPG. She is such a sweetheart. Erin and I had got to have a quick conversation with her one time after a show at like 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> such a sweetheart. And talking about someone who is really as you say, trying to progress forward and give the marginalized voices a stage and a mic and um, also just teaching the technicality of like how to produce and, and making it accessible for more people. So how, how did you feel when you found out that you were going to be playing with her and, and the Femhouse peeps on that stage? So my, my story with Leah is, is very interesting. I had known about Leah before the pandemic. I was a huge fan of of some of the music that she had made. Going into the pandemic, when everybody was on these live streams or what have you, I kept getting like roped into a lot of these Twitch live streams and these chats. And I was really into her vibe. I learned more about Femhouse and, and what they do. And like I really fell in love with the community. Fast forward, I guess a year and a half, I had an opportunity to be on a higher ground show with her and uh, Noizu and a couple of other people. It was like a Spider-Man meme, like all the Spider-Mans pointing at <laughs> <Yep>. each other. <laughs> I showed up and I was like, you, and she's like, you. <laughs> and it turns out that like I had been keeping tabs on her, but she's been keeping tabs on me because we know a lot of the same people. And she was like, I've heard so much about you and this, that, and the other. And like, you're really great. And your music's wonderful. And she was just very sweet. And she saw me play. And it was almost entirely original music. And she was just like, oh my God, this is so great. And we kept in touch and just became fast friends. Fast forward like two or three months. She was like, hey, I might be doing something with Insomniac. It's like a Femhouse compilation. Can you send me any? some demos she signed house princess pretty much immediately and that came out on insomniac uh, in 2022 and it was probably my biggest track in my discography i really need to start playing it out again i haven't played it out in a while as part of that compilation to promote it i wasn't originally booked for edc vegas but she was hell-bent on having me on this art car and so i played the art car it just so happened that my set time and her set time overlapped so we had joked in the past, like, oh, we should do a back-to-back. -back. Well, it actually happened. So, like, I got to go back-to-back -back with LP for, like, I don't know, 30 minutes, 45 Yo. minutes. Yeah, so sick. But I got to play my set as well. She also, to be fair, she played, like, four sets over the course of that whole weekend. I, I think for her, it was, like, cool. Like, I can have somebody to just kind of, like, vibe with and do a thing and not all the pressures on me. I don't know. I love Leah. Just having an opportunity to play with her was fabulous. And I want to do it again. Love it. Leah, if you're listening, let's make it happen. So that's kind of like how that came together. I can tell you, I don't know if I can say anything officially Ooh. at this job. All I'm going to say is that going into this year, my name and LP's name are probably going to be shared in the same sentence at least once. And so... She's just a, a, a really wonderful friend. She's a great peer. She's a wonderful mentor. I would take a bullet for that woman, honestly. She's incredible. And also, 
huge shout out to her mix a lot name low spalding low helped build fem house with lp a lot of people talk about leah and the things that she's done for fem house but without low nothing would get done and 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 so i think we do need to shout out low as well as that whole team of people who have like really built this nonprofit into something that's not just sustainable but provides so many amazing resources and opportunities to people who who otherwise would not get those opportunities for sure and they do it for free on this tour her late tour the classes she's been doing before each show in each city you just have to sign up that's it yeah you want to talk about a woman who doesn't sleep (laughs) (laughs) lpgob ladies and gentlemen there she is like i remember one time she was telling me she was like okay well i played this show in california and then i have to fly to canada and then i have to fly to london and then i have to fly to ibiza this was all over the course of like four days (laughs) and i'm just like okay cool and then the wheels fall off and she goes hopefully never (laughs) (laughs) she sleeps when she can and and she you know puts herself through the ringer to to really give give her all to to the dance music community and and to the people who listen to her music it's really admirable and it's something that i aspire to right on i was hoping we would talk about lp in this interview that's amazing yes that's a great way to wrap up the whole music segment because uh, like i said before we're we're all huge lp fans we've seen her live multiple times and yeah just have big love for all of the positivity she's putting out there. So that goes into our next segment, which we named Trans is Beautiful because it is. Glad and to hear it. Yes. And I thought I would talk about really quick my experience in 2020 because it was a year of introspection for many people, whether you are gay or straight or neither or what, what have you. I personally took the summer to have some pretty deep conversations with Frenchie about my gender identity. And it was actually a political argument with a family member that I had had at the RV park that sits outside of Graceland in Memphis, Tennessee, (laughs) that pushed me to publicly come out as gender fluid. And it was about August of, of 2020. In the argument that I had with my family member, they couldn't understand why voting for Trump and the Republican Party at large correlated with voting against human rights. And so I felt like it was then my duty to live authentically publicly so that I could speak out against injustices against the LGBTQ community as more than just an ally. So while I was reading some interviews that you have done in various years, I read that while you were coming out as trans in June 2020, you were simultaneously ending a relationship of five years. Firstly, I just want to say that my heart really goes out to you because I can't imagine how lonely that must have been. Five years is not an insignificant amount of time. And uh, to be going through a breakup while the world is on pause, while also evolving into your authentic self must have been one of the hardest moments of your life, if I were to imagine it. Just like big love goes out to you for even having to go through that experience. And uh, I'd like to play a song that you wrote during this period called Isolation, if that's cool with you. Go for it.
song and any other songs you wrote during your transition have helped you heal from that specific point in your life? I think you would have to ask a 13 or 14 or 15 year old me that question. So yeah, I was going through a breakup. We had been together five or six years. It's it's kind of hard to remember exactly when the start point of the relationship was, but we had been living together for for five years for sure. Like, listen, at 25 years old, I was like painting my fingernails, wearing makeup when I was DJing. As one of my queer friends put it, he was just like, we all knew you were somewhere. We were just trying to figure out what kind of bitch you were. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, we knew that you didn't want to get like sweaty with dudes. So she she doesn't like to visit the butcher shop. She's not looking for Even she knew, my partner, she was very gracious, uh, but she had a type. Just over time, I think, you know, she kind of saw the eggshell cracking a little bit. And when we broke up, she had even told me, you know, flat out to my face, I haven't been in love with you as a partner um, for about a year. And so, like, she was basically just biding her time, finding the right moment. And then the pandemic happened, and that just kind of escalated things. I came out in June kind of out of necessity because a stranger started leaving comments on a Facebook post I made. And people started texting me the next day, like, asking me about it. And so I came out kind of publicly with my back against the wall. But it needed to happen regardless. I kind of always knew going through my 20s. I met trans people for the first time when I was in college. and These two beautiful trans men, uh, Gilligan and Jess, if you're, I don't know if they'll ever listen to this, but both of them were, were incredible. And kind of set the tone for my transition in the sense that like, I saw them, something kind of made sense, but I was too much of a dumb bitch to realize it worked the other way. (laughs) (laughs) That took a few more years. I was basically watching Paris is Burning, like, look at these fabulous women. (laughs) Great movie. Great movie. So things started clicking. So I kind of knew, like, 25, 26 years old, like, yeah, I'm definitely somewhere on the spectrum here. I I don't quite know what it is. But there was, like, a lot to unpack from, like, my childhood and being a teenager in my 20s and I was very self-destructive in my 20s and I did a lot of harmful things to myself and like a lot of people you know in isolation like literally having no one to talk to aside from my mom and my dog I kind of really had to like sit and figure things out of course I'm working on music at the same time and so I'm like exploring kind of my thoughts and feelings through that and I'm writing poetry like writing song songs as well. And in the case of isolation, I had written the instrumental for that late one night prior to my breakup with my partner at the time. And and it just, it felt like it was flowing out of me. And then during the pandemic itself, I was, you know, just going through samples one night and I heard that like, that don't go vocal. And I was just like, wow, there's like something really kind of haunting about this. Going into the music I've been writing recently, it's really allowed me to Again, similar to what I was saying earlier, kind of like scrape away some of this artificial tech house shell that I built for myself just to kind of like pretend like everything is fine. Everything's a party. Let's go. And just, you know, kind of be upfront with people and be like, you know, everything's not fine. 
nor does it have to be fine all the time. Like, it's okay to be kind of like an emotional wreck. And I think that similar to bands I really love, like Death Cat for Cutie or Manchester Orchestra, or it's okay to to kind of share that side of yourself. You know, it's okay to cry on a dance floor. It's totally fine. It's like almost essential to, to do. Like if you're not <laughs> crying on the dance floor, what is wrong with you? You need to start doing that. <laughs> I remember. So so this is recent. Romy put out Midair earlier this year. I remember listening to it in my car, just bawling. Oh, yeah. Like bawling. Just because it was like as a queer person, as somebody who considers themselves, you know, sapphic, just like hearing her share her story through dance music in a way that's very healing and vulnerable. It, it, it's just like, you can do it. Fred again, also through the pandemic. Oh my God. So many nights spent fucking crying, listening to Fred again. I'm, I'm sitting here alone in my fucking house with no one to talk to. And it's just like... You know, how many times can I listen to this one song before I finally feel something again? <laughs> <laughs> or like another another song that did that to me uh, during the pandemic, Spotlight by Jesse Ware. Just like another just like haunting, beautiful song. Uh, the yearning and the like the desire to be loved, the desire to be seen and all within the context of like something that you can like listen to on a crowded dance floor surrounded by best friends or even strangers like trying to have that sense of community is is just like there's something transformative about it if only I could let- to explore that side with music over the course of the pandemic difficult but there was a roadmap for it and it took a while to find it but it's definitely helped me grapple with some hard truths about myself and in a way that i hope is healing otherwise i'm just gonna have to keep seeing my therapist (laughs) you can simultaneously keep seeing your therapist and be healing (laughs) you can do that por que no los dos But uh, I really appreciate you getting vulnerable there. And, and and you know what? Like probably it'll be 10 years from now that you can like really answer that question because it's still fresh. Like it was three years ago. It's not like it just happened. Listen, there were some things about that relationship that like I really had to learn to let go of. Like there was definitely some toxicity there coming from both ends. I wasn't perfect. I was that girl that was just like, what do you mean you don't like my dog? <laughs> If you've seen that that season of the Ultimatum, you oh know. yeah, yeah we know exactly one. what you're talking I, about. I actually had just thought it, and then you said it. <laughs> the dog is sleeping in the bed. Period. Yeah, the dog is sleeping in the bed. <laughs> but yeah, it's like you know, she's part of the reason why I'll never date a vegan. Again. <laughs> <laughs> it's never happening. Impossible meat beyond. It's close. It's not the same. <laughs> Nor am I going to spend an extra four dollars for fake meat. 
<laughs> yeah, for something that's not real. Like, sorry, it's not happening. Impossible. All right. Well, the, to tie up this segment, my my last question, mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I was going to say mother, honey, Dijon, but yes, mother, you're also mother. <laughs> No, so Honey Dijon was recently interviewed for Resident Advisor Exchange, where she reflected on the production of her album, Black Girl Magic, and explained wanting to own the narrative of her sexuality, since it's usually portrayed through the lens of the patriarchy. One powerful quote I took away from the interview was, I don't complain, I create. Does this message also resonate with you and your creative process? Honey, I'm a fat trans femme brat. I will complain any opportunity. <laughs> like, will it get me upgraded on that Delta flight? Girl, I will. I will complain. <laughs> but I think uh, creation takes many forms, right? So it's like a complaint can in and, in and of itself be an act of creation. If you're angry and then you go on Twitter to complain about something, just by typing those 160 characters and sending it out, you are creating something. The act of creation is in and of itself in, in many ways an act of destruction. It's an act of rebellion. Any action that you take in a moment in response to something. When she says she doesn't complain, she creates. I would reframe it as like, she's still complaining. She's still looking at y'all with a side eye saying like, y'all fucked up. <laughs> but in that moment, she's turning that complaint into art. She's saying something. She's creating something to voice that opinion. I think that that urge, that temptation to, to act is one that not every person has. And I think that's where you can separate true artists from people who have nothing to say. Do I think certain bender-oriented DJs <laughs> have less to say than I do? No. But I also think those people aren't speaking up as much. They could be using their platform. They could be using their ability in the studio to say something, even if it's just inviting marginalized voices to come in and, and give extra perspective to something that they're working on. And also anything Honey Dijon, anything she said should just be engraved, etched into marble. <laughs> <laughs> right next to Martin Luther King. <laughs> right, exactly. I have a dream <laughs> that Jews and Gentiles will all have access to pop. <laughs> <laughs> Extra strength or otherwise. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> That is absolutely getting engraved. <laughs> Someone tattoo it on my body right now. <laughs> I can I can see it right now on your shoulder blade. I have a dream that Jews and Gentiles all have access to poppers. Perfect. <laughs> dot dot dot. Extra strength or otherwise. <laughs> and then it'll say Honey Dijon's X. Baby, wait. <laughs> it can be like that episode of The Office where it's like Wayne Gretzky, but also Michael Scott. I love it. <laughs> All right. So now that we've done the heavy stuff, we're going to get into some fun, bubbly stuff because that's Mikey's That's Mikey's whole brand. <laughs> <laughs> this is a look inside the, the noggin here, Mikey's random question. The first thing I really want to know, if you were to be trapped on a deserted island and you could only take one album with you, what would it be? 
Fleetwood Mac rumors. Ooh. Let's go. Yes. Oh. That was the only answer that is accepted. <laughs> <laughs> to Aaron V. <laughs> I've seen them live twice. They're fucking amazing. But but I will say, if I had a backup, which I'm not saying I do, <laughs> but if I did, Transatlanticism by Death Cab for oh, Cutie. And then it's also Jamie XX, his self-titled album. I love it. All right, I'll allow three albums on the dessert (laughs) island. (laughs) All right, this next question might be a little bit like running with scissors up a spiral staircase. It's dangerous. I see what you did there. Yeah, what did I do there? (laughs) Nothing. We're moving away from the era of gremlin music, and I am so excited to hear everything you have to say and express in your tunes. But as a little bit of a gremlin myself, I do want to ask if Scooby-Doo was... A producer. (laughs) Okay. And presumably, Shaggy would be a part of this as well. They would be a duo. What are they making? What are they playing for the people? That's a good question. (laughs) Part of me feels like just looking at Shaggy, Shaggy is definitely at a Subtronic show. A hundred percent. He's looking for those wubs. He's got his page on. Yeah, he's got he's got his page on. Scooby Doo is also. I mean, Scoob is there for the vibes. Um, however, I want to say that they have a foot in both worlds. And knowing how much they love stealing a snack here and there, <laughs> I would argue that they would probably fall in the footsteps of Eats Everything. Nice. Just very snack-oriented. <laughs> Producer <electronic> duo. Electronic <laughs> music. Maybe Om Nom. Oh, Maybe they'd be like Om Nom. So <laughs> nom Nom Nom. I was going to make a joke about um, do it them like maybe being into ghastly or something (laughs) but then i realized they don't like scary stuff like anything that's even remotely spooky is probably not fair it's not for them (laughs) although they would probably enjoy ghastly more than gengar gengar is the supremely scary (laughs) alien for sure (laughs) i i think if scooby-doo and shaggy for example are at a res concert they're dipping out (laughs) they are piecing too scary too scary (laughs) just like hey dude the vibes here You have to do more. Oh my gosh. That was an iconic impersonation. Keep going. <laughs> hey, Scoob, look in the DJ booth. There's a ghost. <laughs> have you ever done that on stage? So that's actually my voice in the track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, clearly. That's the only party trick that I have up my sleeve. <laughs> It's like you looking to grab a U-Haul and move in with this woman because she's got a mean shack. <laughs> Scooby too. She doesn't hike and doesn't drive a Subaru, but if you like cartoon character voices, she's, she's the, the one. one. She's the one. I just know there's a plurby out there who has that at the top of their list and what they're looking for. So Keep an eye on your DMs. You might be receiving uh, an influx. Talk shaggy to me. (laughs) Oh, God. I love this interview. You subvert expectations instead of being like, hey, Scoob. It's like, Mr. Bombastic. (laughs) It wasn't me. (laughs) Wasn't me. Um, I heard, and you mentioned it earlier, that you are 
Uh, movie buff, do you have a favorite soundtrack? Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> or a couple. Thank you for opening. It. <laughs> All right, so that's that's really difficult. I think the best score beginning to end, uh, I, I think it doesn't get nearly enough love based on the rest of their discography. The Tron score, Tron Legacy score, the Daft Punk score yeah. that they did um, with Joseph Trapanese. It does a good job of blending digital with traditional orchestration. Similar vibe, the score that M83 did with Joseph Trapanese for Oblivion, I think it's fabulous. The obvious answer is going to be anything Hans Zimmer. Right. So like his score for Inception is is bar none incredible. The Interstellar score is incredible. Oh, man, I, I could go on for hours. Oh, I should know this because it was on my uh, my Spotify wrapped for this past year. I want to say his name is Emil Basari. I could be wrong, but he did the, uh, the score for um, the movie Minari, which I think is just a haunting, beautiful score. There's like anytime I hear the uh, it's a track called Ice Dance. It's from Edward Scissorhands. Anytime that I hear that, I like start welling up and crying. It's it's maybe one of my favorite pieces of music ever written. So yeah, like I listen to a lot of film scores. That's a great question. It's actually what I listen to when I'm not listening to dance music promos that all sound the same. <laughs> now, do you think that we could get you to cry live on our? podcast no, no. <laughs> it's not happening no tears i'll turn it up a little bit maybe You're not going to get me this time. I'm sorry. You're not going to get me this time. But there have been many, plenty of times where I've like sat sitting in my car, like in the driveway at night, like just super late at night. Cause that's, that's like one of my favorite things to do. I'm a weirdo. Welcome. I'm probably going to be found like dead from carbon monoxide poisoning when I'm having like a really hard night. Um, and I can't sleep because I have like crippling night terrors and stuff. Fun fact. I will like get my slippers on. I'll grab a sweatshirt. I'll grab my phone and I'll go in my car and I'll turn on my car. And I'll either sit in the driveway and listen to music or I'll drive around and listen to music. And I'll listen to like movie scores or things that are just instrumental and just kind of like decompress or disassociate a weird thing to do but that's a totally like healthy way to cope with your feelings it's you know not an addiction by any means no, there are worse things i could do <laughs> yeah it's very true and it's also not the weirdest thing i could do there's there's like a, a circle of hell reserved for people who add things like ranch or buffalo to foods that are already soupy <laughs> Like if you're adding like buffalo sauce to to mac and cheese, your mac and cheese by itself is already an infernal food. Um, it's just gloopy, 
It makes noises. Wow, breaking news. This is not breaking news. This is very... <laughs> you have not done your research, Mr. Interviewer. You would have known. I'm constantly bitching about mac and cheese on Twitter. It comes up. It comes up at least three times a year. Exposed. Exposed. There you go. Yeah. Before we know it, we're going to have a song about mac and cheese. Yeah, it's going to be like mac and cheese. Get the fuck away from me. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you for going so in-depth on the movie soundtracks to any listeners who didn't recognize that is Ice Dance that Kara just mentioned from Edward Scissorhands. I really would like to make this podcast a platform to showcase other elements of artists' personalities and passions outside of music. So thank you for going into that. That's also arguably my favorite Christmas movie. I will I will go down and say Edward Scissorhands is a Christmas movie takes place at Christmas. Ice Dance has like a very like Christmassy vibe about it. Winona Ryder, when she's like telling the story, both at the beginning and at the end, the book ends, there's a Christmas tree in the, in the background. It's a Christmas movie, people. More so than Die Hard. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It is a, it's set at Christmas. <laughs> uh, the entire score for Die Hard is Christmas oriented. It is a Christmas movie. That's right, Moody. It's Christmas. I am not contesting anything here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I've got a couple more here. We were actually hoping to maybe someday commission our own Mount Rushmore in EDM. Would you be interested and making the selections for who gets put on that Mount Rushmore. Oh, wow. A hard question. Because EDM as like an umbrella term, it's so far-reaching. You would need to do something that represents the past, present, and future. It's only four people for Mount Rushmore. I would say Giorgio Moroder has to be on that just because he produced I Feel Love with Donna Summer, which is arguably the biggest disco track of all time and influenced techno, it influenced Deep House, it influenced Tech House, like what he did with the drum machine, like set the standard so high. understand that this is so difficult <laughs> Giorgio Moroder is for sure on the Mount Rushmore of dance music I'm gonna put Fatboy Slim Hell yeah. on it not because I have a release called Fear is the Weapon out on Southern Fried <laughs> Records right now <laughs> which is his record label although you should go stream that again it's called Fear is the Weapon it's on Southern Fried Records it's on all <laughs> streaming platforms and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great song that I wrote um and it's called Fear is the Weapon, just <laughs> just to clarify. Kara, what was that song called that you just wrote and released? It's called Fear is the Weapon. Mm, mm, that one, yes, yes. But the reason why I'm putting Fatboy Slim on there is when you're talking about like 
music from the 90s and early 2000s. Big Beat, I think, as a genre, as a subgenre, was so instrumental into introducing dance music at, at a broader scale. You think about the records that Fatboy Slim made, like Rockefeller Skank, Weapon of Choice, Right Here, Right Now. All of these are songs that were in TV, movies, commercials. Whether or not you're aware of it, you've heard it, and you've you've probably vibed with it. Um, so I put Fatboy Slim up there. And he's still very much relevant today. And he's still very much relevant today. You do have to put someone from like the old guard in there. I'm going to go Larry LaVon. Larry, welcome. It was either going to be Larry LaVon or Frankie Knuckles. So I had to choose one of those two. Um, but Larry LaVon was one of the DJs at the Paradise Garage, especially now with the amount of people wearing Keith Haring t-shirts and stuff. The Paradise Garage kind of like set the tone for what nightclubs could be, what a, a night of DJ programming could be. And he played d- disco, house, high energy records, techno, you know, up and up until the time. Um, I don't think he's with us anymore. And you got to put someone from the new guard on there and someone who like champions the spirit of house music and what it can do, which is why I'm not going to do John Summit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to choose the Blessed Madonna. Yes. Great choice. Not just because we needed non-male representation up there, but when you're talking about somebody who has DJed for a very long time, Maria's been DJing since the 90s. They were literally going to raves when they were, you know, too young to drive. And the way that they've just shepherded house music, how how dedicated they are to keeping the legacy alive and of educating people and of being no nonsense and of collaborating with all of these amazing artists. While the Blessed Madonna isn't as much of a household name as say like a Skrillex or like a Claude Von Stroke even or a Tiesto or like like any anybody who's a headliner. I, I feel like the Blessed Madonna as an artist and as a as person, they set the tone. And when you're trying to come up with a Mount Rushmore, it has to be people who set the tone for, for everybody and set the standard for people to kind of like aspire to and reach for. Um, but like, if we're talking more than four names here, I mean, like for me personally, like some of the artists that I've always really looked up to as a, as a DJ and as a producer, Justin Martin, Fortet, Jamie XX, I think is in the conversation. Claude Von Stroke is in the conversation for sure. Green Velvet, Tiesto, like any, any of the big trance artists like Tiesto, Armin, above and beyond. There's so many people that also aren't with us anymore. Like like I said, Frankie Knuckles. Fuck. Rest in peace, Frankie Knuckles. Uh, Sylvester. There's so many people that should still be with us that are just aren't because of things like AIDS. And it's it's so it's so sad. Derek Carter, who's who's still DJing and doing the damn thing. Derek Carter's an incredible DJ. If you've never seen Derek Carter DJ, like what are you doing? Masters at work, like Louis Vega. Oh my god. Oh, Louis Vega is so good. I would I would also I would also say like love him or hate him. Fucking Fisher, dude. <laughs> yes! 
McFluffa. Like, talk about a guy with so much energy. Like, it's just. He's in it to win it, for sure. He's like Fisher. Chris Lake as well. Like, I've I've had the, the fortune of, of hanging out with Chris Lake and talking to Chris Lake and picking his brain multiple times. And, like, you can't ask for a sweeter human being on the face of this planet. He seems like it. He's just, like, so grounded and gives the best advice. And he's just so nice just wants everyone to succeed and like i could say the same for for barclay claude von stroke like he's also i mean he's done so much for me in my career justin martin has done so much for me in my career walker and royce like you guys want to hear a crazy story about walker and royce yes i saw gavin uh who is the the royce in walker and royce Gavin perform at this show at U Street Music Hall in I think it was 2014 or 2015. It was before they signed anything to Dirty Bird. He was literally like about to throw in the towel. Like he had just played a show in, in the UK. Like things really weren't going their way. They were working on all this super experimental music. People really didn't want to sign it because they didn't know what to do with it. And a few people took took the risk. And those few people were Green Velvet, Claude Von Stroke, and like the pets recording guys, cats and dogs. And they signed a few records from from these people. And within the span of a year and a half, they released Self Help on Dirty Bird, which I would argue is maybe one of the, the best albums of the last 20 years, dance music-wise. Now they are tippy tippy top like just totally going straight to the moon and to see people at that place and just be like but you know what like just have this feeling that everything's going to pan out it's it couldn't happen to a better couple of dudes and it, it reminds me of this quote that seth rogan has said in the past which is like if you keep doing what you're doing uh, with a little bit of luck you just might get there but like if you don't do it at all you you'll never get there it's better to try and fail because at least you gave it a shot than it is to like just not do it at all because if you don't do it at all then you're not even giving yourself an opportunity and it's a grind you at the beginning of this the show you named a bunch of festivals i've played on I'm going to be I'm going to be straightforward with you. There are months where I'm just like, okay, cool. Well, it looks like I got to choose between this or this this month. That's just the reality of it. But I really love making music. I really love this community that I'm in. I really love providing visibility to people who don't get to see themselves on stage all the time because it gives people fuck, it gives people hope. Mm-hmm. It gives people hope that like maybe the next day will be better. You know, if I give up, I am taking that away from people. And I would much rather be broke and surviving off of McDonald's cheeseburgers <laughs> and be in between hormone shots every month than possibly, this is going to sound extreme, but like not saving somebody. The messages I get sometimes from people, it's it's really humbling. Music means means something to people. If people like what you do and you quit, you're robbing them of that. I think it's irresponsible. Here, here. So, yes, I love everything that just happened. Honestly. Thank you for sharing your passion with us, your knowledge. Like, you're such a historian of dance music that we love so dearly. It's so funny when people try to pick a fight with me on social media. (laughs) 
Like, you don't know what house music is. You don't know anything. And it's just like... <laughs> Honestly. Well, you can drop them the link to this podcast and they'll be able to hear <laughs> someone who really... That's what she's talking about. Yeah, when, like, whenever somebody tries to pick a fight with me, like, they know more about house music than I do, which, like, they could. They could very well know more about house music than I do. But I mentioned something like Paradise Garage and they're like, what's that? I'm just like... Bye. <laughs> educate yourself well i've got two questions left for you i got two answers this next one is the heaviest hitter in the maybe whole interview this is perfect time for it does tiesto look good or great in a v-neck how deep is the v <laughs> <laughs> that's my answer how deep is the v that's that's a perfectly perfect acceptable answer. answer yes we take it <laughs> well continuing to the final question we had the privilege of getting to see you do your thing at EDC Orlando. And when you're DJing at a show or a festival, you're getting to play your music for others. But more than that, you're creating a whole experience for all the people around you. Now, our sources tell us that you used your guest list privileges at EDC Orlando to bring a friend from high school backstage, a friend who you had not seen in 15 years. Shout out Matt, aka Thick Potter on IG. Personally... And I think as a podcast, that's definitely a dream of ours to be able to similarly use our platform to create amazing experiences for others, whether it's people closest to us or even just random humans from high school 15 years ago. Now, we've got big dreams from our vision to grow this podcast to maybe doing events way down the line, just meeting and making a positive impact on ravers. We would love to hear about any big or small dreams that you have, hopes or goals to make an impact on people's lives. Okay, first and foremost, that was the most nardwar bullshit <laughs> I've seen in an interview. Just like, oh, we heard you pulled some strings. You brought a friend from high school. Shout out Thick Potter. Your baby weight, we have to know. Do, 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 do. <laughs> uh, oh my goodness, Matt. Oh God, <laughs> love of my life. So, uh, what was the question again? <laughs> what are your hopes and dreams in life? What are my hopes and dreams in life? I would love a Big Mac fries and a Coke <laughs> to get under $5 again in my lifetime. That's definitely a hope. <laughs> uh, as it pertains to music, I would love to one day be nominated for a Grammy. Hell yeah. I would love to score a movie at some point that was you know that was a dream of mine when i was in college i actually have a film degree and i wanted to make scary movies and then do the music for those movies anybody at netflix listening i'd love to be like you know scoring the next stranger things or something Ooh. let's make it happen i want there to be diversity without turning it into a token thing on festivals and at clubs Unless it's Pride Month, then I don't want any straights playing any shows. <laughs> no straighties. No straighties allowed for a whole month. You know what? Just to send them to space. Give us queers the whole planet for a whole month and then watch as all the lesbians get things done and fix the world. <laughs> the efficiency. The efficiency of it all. No, but seriously, like I feel like promoters sometimes they're so hell bent on doing diversity and like having like 
me, for example, like me, me as a trans woman, and then like trying to make every single artist trans on the lineup, which I don't have a problem with, but like, don't like go around and being like, we have an all trans lineup. Like it's a, like it's a novelty thing. I love when artists like Grizz are like, you know, send me recommendations for LGBTQ artists for you know a festival or a couple days worth of shows just for the sake of like equity i think that there's beauty in that because you know he's ultimately trying to showcase his own community and he's he's trying to find talent who who hasn't had that opportunity yet or maybe they get overlooked maybe they just don't have resources there's there's so many reasons but do I want at EDC there to be like, come on over to our gay stage. Everything is gay. <laughs> Super gay. First and foremost, every stage at EDC is gay. Hell yeah. <laughs> so thanks, Pasqual. Have you seen the mermaids? Have you seen the mermaids? Did you see the way that that floating animatronic head was serving side eye? <laughs> Did you just see all the cake at the cake stage? <laughs> Couldn't get enough. <laughs> Could not get enough. But to that point, I want more representation for artists that aren't cis, aren't white, aren't male, aren't straight on lineups and just like let them exist. I think that would be wonderful. We can definitely get there. Yeah, like I, it would be sick. It would be sick because when you tokenize everything, you know, if you're doing like an International Women's Day lineup, obviously don't book John Summit. Be smarter than that. That's a given. If it's a pride event, book people from the queer community. That's a given. But like to have like random one off events throughout the course of the year and just be like, we have an all women lineup, we have a, like an all lemon sorbet lineup. <laughs> I would go to that. <laughs> Lemon sorbet. Sign me up. I, I think it's I think it's fine to hire people for the sake of diversity and to like diversify your lineups, diversify your festival spaces. I just don't want people patting themselves on the back for it. Mm, yeah. Because then it comes off as like performative. When it should just be necessary. It it, it should just be it should just be how it is. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then how great would it be if you were at the event and over the course of the day, let's say you watched like four, this happened at lightning in a bottle. The perfect example. It was me, then Mary Droppins, then Nala, then LPGOB on the Woogie stage for the first eight hours on that Friday. And like nobody was saying it's an all female lineup, but the fucking realization of people there that were just in attendance and afterwards they're just going like, wait, did we just see eight hours of women doing their thing and fucking crushing it? And it's like, yeah. Oh my God, that was so great. <laughs> it's like, let people come to that conclusion on their own. Like you can be intentional and not broadcast it to the whole world. Yeah. But then the moment that, you know, lightning in a bottle is just like, check out our all women lineup this Friday, Friday, Friday. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's when it, like if you just let people come to that conclusion on their own, it's much more meaningful that way. A hundred percent. Because how many times have you gone to a show and they don't go all male lineup, all boys, light, come on down, people. Like, 
I want that just so that promoters can see how stupid it is. I want them to book like Diplo and MK and Sonny Federa and Dom Dalla, like all in the same lineup. And I want them to be like, look how progressive we are. All man lineup. <laughs> just so people can be like, wait, this is just like any other night at the club. Like you don't have to promote it that way. And then you can go, see, see. See how dumb it is. See how dumb it is when you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All man I gave you two hours of content. You crushed it. Is there anything else you want to talk about? What's something that's going to get me canceled? You know what? I don't want you rolling up onto my guest list if you like mac and cheese. (laughs) (laughs) If you like mac and cheese, kindly. Fuck off. off. (laughs) There's the door. Get out of here. You can like mac and cheese. Just don't shove it in our faces, okay? <laughs> Listen, I'm all for people identifying the way that they want to identify, but I don't want you shoving the fact that you're a mac and cheese lover <laughs> down my throat. Put your flags away. Put your flags away. <laughs> you can put your pronouns in your bio, but the moment you tell me what your side dishes of preference are, that's a step too far. Okay, so mac and cheese is terrible. That's the obvious one. It makes everybody go like, what? Why? We were rooting for you. <laughs> corn dogs, overrated. Get out, get out of here with a corn dog. Wawa, why? <gasps> we got, you got two gay gasps out of that one. <laughs> Wawa, why? She's gone too far. In a world where we have sheets and Publix, why? No! Okay, Publix, though. Publix, yes. Publix is great, but it's like a grocery store. It's 3 a.m. Publix is closed. Okay, Publix might be closed. Sheets ain't. Sheets is 24 hours. True. Hold on. Hold on. I'm sorry. It's 3 a.m. You got that dog in you. (laughs) You roll up. You find yourself stumbling through sheets. You get that pick three appetizer combo. Get yourself some Mont sticks. Maybe some cheese fries if you're feeling frisky. And then... You get yourself some jalapeno poppers because you know what? When in Rome, say la vie. <laughs> then you hook yourself up with a made-to-order schmiscuit. And then if you're feeling really nasty, maybe something else on the side. But you roll into a Wawa, what you got? You got mashed potatoes or mac and cheese or a hoagie. Those are your only options. No, no, Cara, you have so many options and you can go to the little screen and you can scroll through all of the options they have so many options and you don't even have to wade through like truckers brushing their teeth or all sorts of happenings (laughs) that you might see as sheets what was an experience it's inferior no (laughs) sheets is like a a lot of fried food and things of that nature which wawa also has but like Kara's like the dog the dog in you remember (laughs) don't forget the dog (laughs) the dog that's in you yeah, but the dog in me can get a milkshake at Wawa. The dog in you can get a for real milkshake at the Sheets. We are we are different dogs. <laughs> That's fun. We've got one more song to play. Oh, okay. What song is that? Slay for me. Slay for me. Oh, she better work. She, yeah, she better. This work. is the best song to dance to on the dance floor because it's just so fucking fierce. Yeah. 
actually made a version of this song that mixes the vocal with um, Vogue by Noizu. <gasps> it's been working like every dance floor. Dude, I need to hear that. I do too. <laughs> we just talked about that song. You know what? Live and direct. I'll give it to you. for this. It's Hold on, fuck that. <laughs> fuck that shit. Hold on. I got to start this motherfucking record over again. Wait a minute. Fuck that shit. Still on this motherfucking record. <laughs> Of course. And being our first guest on the Plurality Pod, this has been so, so fun. fun. You want to leave us with any beautiful messages as well? Oh my goodness. Um, let's see. Trans lives matter. A woman's body is her own business. Do less talking. Do more listening. I have Fear is the Weapon out now on Southern Pride Records. <laughs> Go listen, people. My record label, Chub Rub, is putting out new music again. Our next release is... Uh, my friend Remnick, their track, Not a Boy. I did a remix. Oh, yes. It's on the B side. We love Remnick. City Soul. Let's go. I have some really special things that are coming up in 2024. I can't announce yet, but all I'm going to say is that it's super exciting. I'm so happy that I get to work with these wonderful people. Yeah, go stream my music. Spend money, come to my shows. Yes! Let's get baby weight to the main stages, y'all. Uh, I'm playing Avant Gardner in Brooklyn with Vanessa, Chris Lorenzo, and Kyle Watson this upcoming weekend, I guess. Yep. And then I am also playing Lights All Night in uh, Dallas, Texas on New Year's Eve. Woo! I have a show in Sacramento on the 22nd. I'll be in Detroit with Codes at the Magic Stick on the 16th. 
That is gonna be a dope show. Huge fan of codes. Reach out to someone you haven't talked to in a very long time and just say hi and check in on them because we need that during this time of year. Great advice. Perfect. Snaps for baby weight. Hell yeah. Thank Thank you so much for being our our first ever guest. Of course. And we hope to have you back on the the pod in the future. I would love that. I would love that. We're friends forever now, so you're kind of stuck with us. (laughs) It'd be like that sometime. It do. That's the end. (laughs) (laughs) That's the end. Thank you so much for doing this. This has been so amazing. Yeah, of course. Are you all coming to that Abbott Carter show? So Mikey is based out of Boston. Maybe. Ooh. Give. 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 Give.